But if you take sales as something that you need to do consistently, week after week, month after month, quarter after quarter, the results will be very predictable. And if you do the right things, you're going to get the right results. That's plain and simple. The discussion becomes, what are the right things for you? You're listening to the B2B Growth Think Tank, the show that brings you the virtual hot seat where each week my expert guests and I help another business leader by masterminding actionable solutions to a specific challenge they're currently trying to solve in their business. So if you're looking for answers to a specific challenge that you're facing, that if you could solve in the next 90 days would have a huge impact on your growth, send it in to thinktank at thinklikeafish.co.uk and we'll see if we can feature you on the show. My name is Adam King, your host and the captain of the ship at growth consultancy Think Like a Fish. And if you're ready to rethink what's possible for your business and discover the growth strategies, advice and insight to turn this new vision into a reality, let's get started. Hey, Adam here and thanks very much for tuning in. And as you are, I'm going to make the assumption that you are responsible for generating revenue for an established B2B professional service business and you're looking to grow your revenue. So what I've got for you, you're going to absolutely love because I've recently released my new revenue multiplier calculator and bonus training where using this tool and following the training, you'll discover how to uncover the hidden revenue opportunities in your business and be able to systemize your growth using seven revenue multipliers that can double your business in 12 months or less. So if you want to go and grab your copy, go to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash calculator. Now on to today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to the B2B Growth Think Tank. Joining me today to talk business growth and to help out a fellow business leader on the virtual hot seat is someone who I'm pretty sure you're going to relate to because like many of us, he had a pretty negative view of salespeople. I mean, he was an engineer by, tra- by trade and by, uh, by training, but then something happened. He then actually became a salesman. Now, that was 10 plus years ago. And since then, he has been very successful in several sales positions, including executive and senior management roles in IBM. And all without having to become the stereotype that uh, he held and we all hold around the profession. So today at IBM, he is the vice president of Cloud and Red Hat Synergy in the Americas, and he's currently leading some of IBM's key growth initiatives across the United States for global markets in industries such as financial services, distribution, communications, industrial, and the public sector. Now, as you're going to hear, you're going to get some absolutely fascinating insights into the workings of a multinational organization like IBM. But what I think you're going to hear a lot more about is you're going to see that no matter how big the company, sales are made by people for people. So I'm excited about this one to see where this conversation goes. And I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Zafa Karaka to the show. How are you doing, Zafa? Great, Adam. Thanks a lot for having me here. And I'm definitely excited to be on as well. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. So, um, I mean, going from engineer to salesperson, that's not the normal sort of flow of events, is it? So how did that happen, first of all? Yeah, it was on the one side. It was complaining about salespeople selling things they decide to implement and always you know, not setting the right expectation with the customer and all. But at some point in my career, I wanted to get into the business side of the equation. And honestly, you know, on a Sunday evening, I was on LinkedIn. I saw a job at IBM that was saying, 
my engineering profession is the array of focus, which is telecommunications, which is networking. Then there was a discussion about sales. I said, this may not be that bad. Let's just apply and see what happens. Things just worked out rapidly. Next day, they called the day after that. I went to interview and I met this wonderful woman. She was one of the strongest characters I ever met in my professional career, like to the point, direct, such great communication skills, such strong personality. And at that moment, I said, I want to be like her. If she's a salesperson, I'm going to be a salesperson. I can pull that off. I had to stalk her a bit saying, you know, I'm going to do this better than the people that had the experience and all, and she had to trust. But eventually she gave me a shot, which worked out well. And that was, uh, yeah, that was over 10 years ago. And um, I mean, I am obviously assuming that selling for IBM is the easiest job in the world, isn't it? Because um, nobody ever got fired for uh, hiring IBM. That's the saying, isn't it? So you must have the easiest. (laughs) It is absolute pleasure to work for a company that's been around more than 100 years, that has great customer relationships, that has great technology product portfolio. That being said, sales is sales. One, you know, you need to build that trust and relationship with your customers day over day again and again, because well, everything flows in such rapid pace. The past is past. It's always about what you're doing today and what you're doing for the customer tomorrow. That's one piece. Then the second piece, you know, we have tough competition, right? We have all these hyperscalers on the cloud space that are coming in that, that, you know, competing in certain cases, partnering in others. We have all these different startups, software vendors coming up with, you know, creative ideas, great ideas that we, again, collaborate, partner with as well as compete with. So that industry, the tech industry is always rapid and always evolving. You need to, you know, keep on your toes and keep competing as any other one. And then the third one is, um, as great as IBM is with the size, with the strength, with the scale, it also has a different effect coming with it, right? Sometimes you may not have the most flexible structure. You have certain processes that are well established over the years for the sake of the customer's benefit, but they are the processes that you work with. You need to work with certain pricing structures. You may not be as aggressive because you have a certain cost structure coming with that processes that you have established. Those kind of things you still need to go from scratch. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, sales is sales. If you don't have the right people dealing with the right people, creating the right value, then, you know, no matter where you are, it's the same discussion, same challenges. Mm, absolutely. And, and and there's a number of things that um, I'd like to unpack that you've you've sort of covered there. And I think the first one is is sort of around the whole idea of of trust and and i think that's why the the idea that a lot of us can carry around salespeople is that inherently because of the experience we've had in the past is that there isn't the trust in the salespeople because they come at us as salespeople now is is that something that you've sort of come up against in in your career is it something that IBM has has noticed, and, and there's a lot of talk about things like trust-based selling, consultative sales, all that kind of thing, whatever label you want to put out on it, on it. How do you think about selling? And 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 how has that influenced from say that like the, the higher level at, at IBM? I think this is one we need to look in the context of how the industry, how the market is evolving as well. A couple of decades ago, the salesperson had tremendous value because you know we were that pitching the customers something they did not know before. In this age, that's never the case. More than 80% of the customers engage 
with the product, with the technology, with the solution that they are looking for through digital platforms before they even talk to anyone. They do their own research. They know more than many of the salespeople will or can know. We need to accept that fact. Then the second discussion becomes that trust factor that you mentioned. And the moment you stop trying to push something to the customer, which customers want to buy, they don't want to be sold anymore, and they know enough, the discussion actually starts. You need to ask the right questions because your job as a seller is now understanding where the client is because you may have the best solution, but you need to meet where the client is in their journey. Whatever that they're on, they will be at a certain stage that's going to be different from the other customer. Then you need to really understand that. You need to understand what you have really well as a trusted advisor in that context, the solution. You need to know it deeply. And then you need to merge those things together in a way that will create value for the customer in the long run, in the short run, which you need to balance as well, especially given the last year and the impact it had on the economy, how you balance that short-term impact versus long-term is always critical. And once you do put all those three legs of the stool together, then you deliver value. Then you deliver a proper conversation for the customer that they're going to listen to you, that they are going to build the trust with you. And of course, you need to deliver on your promises so that you can have the next sale, etc. It's It's... I think the future of sales is a services profession. Our job is, you know, we can say consultative selling, we can put any label, but the reality is we need to position ourselves as people that are that services profession that delivers an extra value to the customer. Otherwise, again, they can buy the point products online, they can buy things digitally, they can learn things digitally. And then the question becomes, why do we need the salespeople? Yeah. And, and, and I think that. It's certainly, uh, I mean, I've had a few other people talking about this whole shift in the industry and how the, uh, the, 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 the end buyer is so much more educated and sometimes they'll even come more educated than you. And, you know, what is the role of the salesperson? Um, I've, I've had people talking from, um, from car buying perspective, for example, and the fact that you can literally go online and go to a supermarket where it's picked out of a box and delivered to your door without having to potentially even talk to someone on the surface of it potentially suggest there is less and less place for salespeople. But at the end of the day, it's still, people still want reassurance to know that there is somebody to talk to. And well, I, this is the same discussion, right? Ages and ages, like industrial revolution and how humankind positioned ourselves again. This is the discussion about artificial intelligence now. What's the role of human versus why are we going to leverage AI and, you know, are we killing people's jobs? It is not that. You need to go a bit higher on the value chain because there's tremendous value a seller can bring, one with the industry expertise, with the understanding of the customer's business, and the second one, understanding of the product or the solution that they are driving. And if you can merge that better than anyone else, that's your value proposition. And that is a critical, absolute need because we still have to have that communication skills, which is the biggest strength of any salesperson, we need to have the listening skills even much more than we always emphasize the importance for. And then you're bringing a tremendous value to the table. But if you're entirely just trying to push your product to somebody, then it's not going to work for you. No. And, and, and I think that there is something that's been pushed by, um, I don't know if it's the sales industry, the marketing industry, or, or, or whatever it is, but it's this whole concept of no like trust, right? And I just think it's in the wrong order. I think people know to know you, but they need to trust you. They don't have to like you in the selling process. 
because the whole relationship, I think, comes after the sale. But pre-sale, they have to trust you. They don't have to like you at this point, right? They have to trust that you are not there to play the game with them. They have to trust that you are actually showing up to, and one of the things that you said there, to listen to them so that they can feel heard and validated, that you can actually be that service provider that is there to really kind of be the doctor and, and diagnose the challenges that they're facing because they don't actually care about your solution until they know that you've done your due diligence or your diagnosis to be able to actually uncover the core problem. And sometimes I think salespeople are very, very quick to dive into their solution without actually figuring out, well, is this even the thing that you need? Yeah, and that comes from one simple fact, right? As a salespeople, we have run the cadence over decades that's very well focused on the short-term objectives. And that's yeah, what the market expects from public companies. And on a smaller scale, still, we want to have that visibility on the quarter, on the month, on the week. And then the discussion becomes, how does the seller or the sales manager or the business unit leader, how are you actually focusing and balancing that short-term objective that you need to deliver the month, the week, the quarter, while you're building the longer-term discussion? And longer-term discussion have a few faults, right? It's simple metrics that you look at about your next quarter pipeline or next quarter plus or next quarter two throughout the year. That's a simple metric, but then there are mm. things that you cannot measure that easily, which is the client satisfaction, the relationship. Does the client see value from the relationship that you have built with them? And how does that trend? Is it going positive or is it going, is it going negative? These are key metrics you need to look at somehow, and you need to look at that sustainability of the business because uh, the short-term ones, you'll find a way to hit one quarter. It's the most important quarter ever in your career anyone in sales and then the next one is again the most important quarter ever again so you start again and again and again there's a vicious cycle that you need to somehow keep an eye on while building the longer term building the future in there mm. and i think that there's a bit of a um maybe some of the mistrust as well i i, I think you know more from because I'm, I'm not a salesperson I, I i what i know about sales to be honest is as much as what i've learned from talking to people like you on this show but it's also from being on the other side and being in that position where I felt awkward and I felt, you know, like, a, you know, things are being pushed on me and all the rest of it. Because I almost think it's it's kind of like from a salesperson's perspective, they're almost seeing it as, and you can even hear it in the language in, in sort of sales training and things like that, take them to the next step, take them to the next step. And it's kind of like on the salesperson's agenda. Whereas if you're actually putting the customer at the center of it or your potential customer at the center of it, you're not trying to push them to the next place. You're kind of going, this is where we see you are. Where would you like to go next? Yes. And, you know, with this is, as you said, it's part of the sales trainings, certain companies. I'm pretty lucky and privileged in that context. IBM is doing a great job in this saying, you know, it's about listening to customers, about that consultative engagement. But overall, you know, the industry training is mostly about that emphasis. One thing as a seller we all need to do, though, we need to build our own style. We may or may not be that person that goes in having the best chit-chat and the uh, you know, nicest, you know, that, that some people are just quick. They build the relationship. They're great with people. It's a discussion. You know, they're great in that. But 
not every seller is like that. The question becomes, what is your style? What's the value proposition, again, that you bring to the individual you talk to? And to me, for example, at that moment when I made the shift, it was one, I knew my product, I knew my solution because, you know, I was working on it technically before, which gave me a good advantage. Then the second one, um, it's more about personality. It's about the engagement type you have also, but um, I cared. Like I cared about the success of the person that I'm dealing with, the success of that company as much as my own. And then the discussion becomes little by little, you're building that trust because I was working in a territory it's not the core IBM customer. It's more like new clients. Then mm. you go to a new client saying, IBM, you want to do business with you? You know, you're too big. You want to deal with us? Why? How? You know, can we work with you? These are all concerns. You need to build that trust and you need to show that you care. And you do that day after day, when before the sale, during the sale, and most importantly, after the sale, so that you can build that trust. And then the discussion becomes, again, the longevity. We need to... Like one of the biggest mistakes I did when I was earlier in my career was I had this project. It was so fascinating. It was like big. I was going to do that big one shot and was everything was going to be perfect. I was absolutely sure I was going to close the deal successfully. The customer was on board. Everything was laid out. Solution was built. It was perfect. Competitive wise, it was perfect. Everything was great. Then, you know, things went south. And then you end up with a bad quarter that you don't have something else to fill the gap with. So these kind of lessons don't help you build that sustainability approach. You need to have a sustainable, consistent performance because this is a, more of a marathon. And then you mm. think about the trust. You think about the skills you need. You think about the relationships you build. You think about the long-term pipeline you build as much as what you need to get close this quarter. So how would you start to go about building that pipeline, both short, medium, and long-term? Because... It's, I think for a lot of people, especially when selling is not necessarily their core skill, their core focus, if they're sort of, you know, running the business, but also doing some of the sales and doing some of the other bits and pieces. I mean, sales is a full-time job. It's a full-time profession. And a lot of people are doing bits of it and they're kind of forced into it without the necessary understanding of, of what it takes to actually build a pipeline because that word gets banded around. But I don't think everybody exactly knows what a pipeline is and what a strong pipeline looks like because it is short, medium and long term. So, I mean, from from the perspective of how RBM looks on it and then from the perspective of how you personally view a pipeline, what, what do you what do you sort of see in that? So there are a few aspects in this, right? Before even looking at the pipeline, the first couple of questions are, who are my target customers? What's the value proposition I have? Who is the competition? How do I do versus them? And, you know, you need to cover the basics. You need to have that confidence that this is the right place you focus on. Then once you have a target customer profile, you do two things. You look at your existing customers, which is always your base. Sometimes we may neglect them, which is you know, an absolute mistake. Because acquiring One of the craziest things that people do, right? So, like ignoring their existing or ignoring their lapsed or past. It's like, there's your low-hanging fruit. There's your pipeline if you need it. We always have this glory in sales about acquiring a new customer, which is absolutely important, but acquiring a new customer is a tremendous cost for the business, at least for the first year or two. And then the discussion becomes actually, how are you building that consistent growth with your existing base customers? You need to build actions relevant to them. Are there opportunities you can upsell? Are there opportunities you can cross-sell? 
are the more relationships you can build on the customer. If you're dealing in my industry with the CIO, with the IT side of the equation, uh, the business line of business owners that are also investing in IT, they're making the IT decisions these days, as we all know. Do you have those relationships with the HR leader, with the marketing leader, with their sales leader, different sides of the business? And are you looking for those opportunities? There's tremendous growth on your existing base. Then for new clients, that's the part that you need to be really smart about, really tactical about. You need to have a focus on certain industries, certain buyer profiles, buyer personas, certain certain client specifications. It can be the size of the customer, it can be the number of users, it can be the revenue, it can be many things, depending on what you're trying to go to market with from a product perspective. But you need to have a very good understanding of who is your ideal customer. Because not everybody will benefit from your solution, but more importantly, not everybody will want to do business with you and not everybody will have the same value. So you need to also be selected about whom you target because one most important thing you have in sales is your time. And the second one, you need to have a win rate because this all have cost for your organization. Mm. Then the discussion becomes how do you engage with those customers that you think you can acquire, that you think you can grow the business. And this has multiple facets for a company such as IBM. You have different go-to-markets, different routes within the go-to-market. You need to work with your partner ecosystem. We have a tremendous network of business partners out there that we partner with. Sometimes we compete with, sometimes we partner with, depending on the client situation. But you know, we cannot look at this black and white. You need to find opportunities where you can partner. They will always have an extended reach. They'll always have different relationships. They'll always have different value proposition complementary to yours. And as long as you focus on bringing that pie uh, to a different scale, bigger, then that will work a lot. The discussion becomes on the sales side. You have a digital sales inside sales type functions, which we can argue in this age, all of us are digital sellers. But the discussion becomes how do you leverage social media? How do you leverage um, phone, which may be old, but you know it's the best way of communicating in certain ways. When do you leverage certain events? When do you leverage email campaigns? There are multiple things that sellers leverage there. There are so many great tools out there. Some we built in-house, some we acquired just like other companies that we are using, and that's the second bucket. Then the discussion becomes, how do you work with marketing, right? The sellers sometimes complain about marketing and vice versa. You're not creating enough leads. There's never enough leads. And marketing always says we create the leads and you folks do not care enough. You don't focus oh, enough. Yes. That's why they're not progressing. That's why they're falling off the pipeline. So you need to have a consistent view of that end-to-end pipeline saying, here's how we start with from the discovery phase all the way to the closure and hopefully after course the expansion, the advocacy part. And somehow you need to bring those stakeholders to the table together. Because the discussion is not finger pointing each other at the end of the day. The discussion is how can you be successful together? And then you need to leverage your colleagues within marketing organization. The other side of it is once you do the sale, one of the biggest sources for pipeline for us is the post sales function. You have all these great experts going there, working with the customer, hand in hand, doing implementations, getting to know the client, getting to know the environment, getting to know what the customer actually needs as the next thing. So you need to f- make sure that they also consider why the customer needs more help, why the customer needs something further to advance their own business. Then you need to capture them and bring back to the sales organization on a systemic way, systematic way, mm-hmm. so that you work on those leads, you work on those discussions. You, you, know, you need to leverage every aspect you can. You have client success managers, which is a big deal for us, especially on the software as a service 
platform as a service type businesses. And it's mostly about the adoption. You may have sold something, but is the customer using it? If the customer starts using 100% of it, it means they'll need more. It means they're going to ask for more. That's your opportunity of upsell, cross-sell. Again, how are you leveraging your CSMs? Your job is the success of the customer. They're not salespeople, and they should never, ever act as salespeople. But, you know, again, they know the customer. They are the ones to increase the demands. If you drive demands, you're going to drive sales. So and building that pipeline has too many dimensions that you need to consider unless you bring a holistic picture and somehow mm-hmm. build a view of the business holistically from these routes, what percent of contribution you're going to get from each and somehow build a management system to bring all these individuals together. That's a tough discussion. This is the IBM picture. If you look at IBM, of mm-hmm. course, it's a you know, multi-billion dollar company with 350,000 people. Well, I now feel slightly silly saying that it must be the easiest job in the world after hearing that because it is, I I think what that gives is a picture of exactly what goes into this kind of strategy required to do things well from a sales perspective. And even if you're listening to this and thinking, well, I'm not IBM and I don't have all of these other departments and, and, and all these resources and all the rest of it. It's almost better to ask yourself, how can I take some of the concepts that I've just heard and apply it to my business? Because ultimately, it's about customer at the center. It's about communication. It's about understanding the points on your client journey and where there are potential um, transitional opportunities. So there are, I always say there are opportunities in transitions. And transitions, especially if you're making a sale, are always then going to happen afterwards. So you're transitioning from having a problem to having a solution and you're transitioning into a new problem. Well, is that, is that one that you can solve? Because it might not be, but then you mention partners, partnerships. Well, does that open the door to partnership opportunity? Does it open the door to the opportunity to um, outsource a particular service that that client is then going to need and partner with an outside provider, white label it? do whatever, you know, there are many ways of doing it. But IBM obviously is a big, huge corporation. But if they actually did everything in-house, they wouldn't be able to do it because the profit margins would be so small because of all the things that they they, they would need to do. I, I remember um, right back at the beginning of my career, I worked for a, an IT services company and they did work with IBM, but they were one of their partners. They their, their end client never knew that they were talking to somebody from the company that I worked for. It was um, outsourced sort of call center and, um, you know, support and, and all that kind of thing. And it's just sort of thinking, how can I take some of these concepts and some of this, I, I guess, years and years of, of success that you see from a company like IBM and apply just some of them to your business? Absolutely. So, you know, I... There's a discussion about scale, and when you scale things, there are departments, there are organizations, there are different people that you need to work with, which is also a big challenge. But the business is the business, whatever the scale is and whatever the level is. There's one thing that's a huge fact that we miss about sales. Sales is a very predictable process. If you take sales as that one-shot, one-project type discussion, as I did earlier in my career, you know, there will be great quarters, there will be pretty bad ones. But if you take sales as something that you need to do consistently, 
week after week, month after month, quarter after quarter, the results will be very predictable. And if you do the right things, you're going to get the right results. That's plain and simple. The discussion becomes, what are the right things for you? And again, if you think about who is your base customer, existing customers, who are your new clients that you would really want to acquire? Because not because they're the biggest names or anything, because, you know, they need they have a need and you have a way to to fulfill that need better than others. And, you know, you need to be targeted. Yeah. And on your existing customers, you look at this discussion about, you know, are there things that I can engage with? Are there other people in this company that my contact can introduce me that I can get more business out of? To your earlier mm-hmm. statement, the partnership discussion, you know, we, we cannot do everything ourselves. That's one. The other pieces we're not going to do better than others. So that, you know, it's the best thing ever that we can do is work with others, somehow bring more value to your customer, which in return is going to mm-hmm. help you as well, because that partner is going to bring you somewhere else that you're not existing today as well. So we 100%. somehow take time. We need to structure our day. We need to structure our week. We need to structure our quarter, month, in a way where we carve out time to focus on different aspects that you need to drive. Mm-hmm. And as long as you do this consistently quarter after quarter, you're going to get the results. It's not rocket science with it. Mm-hmm. And, and something that you mentioned um, sort of earlier that I, I, I wanted to sort of come back to, and, and you also said something in there that I want to almost touch on as well before we get to the virtual hot seat. But you, you, you spoke about personality of salespeople. And I think that there is a perception that the personality of a salesperson is a particular way. Very kind of Jordan Belfort, very Gordon Gecko, very ABC, always closing, blah, 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 all that kind of thing. So I think that in itself can harm the industry of sales because it attracts that kind of person. But it's not necessarily that those kind of people are the right kind of people to be in the industry to sell in the right kind of way and what i'm really impressed with having had conversations with you previously and i think it's something that more salespeople would be wise to consider investing in and that is that you are currently sort of looking at how do i build my personal brand as a salesperson within an organization so do you want to sort of just touch on your thought process around that and why you see that as 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 an important I guess evolution in your journey and potentially for others. Absolutely. So we have this sales stereotype, and to your point, we hire accordingly and we train accordingly. And you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy after a point. Uh, Sales is one of the professions with the highest gender gap. We don't have enough women in sales. It's number two uh, on the verse professions, which shows enough that we're doing something wrong there because, you know, the buyers are not that different. You have much more women on the buying decision-making side than on the sales side. That shows there's a gap. There's a diversity gap. But and the, the discussion becomes, again, um, as a seller, you need to create your own style because, you know, you cannot be somebody else on a consistent basis in the long run. You may act differently for a sale or a quarter or two, but you're going to succeed that way, then the discussion becomes how do you build your own style? If your style is that extrovert, strong alpha sales profile that goes in, tries to close every day, every time, okay. But that's not most of the case the time, and so most of the time the case. And also, um, there's not something sustainable in the long run, given the customers do not appreciate that anymore. 
the discussion mm. becomes again, what is your individual value proposition? To me, the individual value proposition I had as a seller was my expertise, my understanding of the solution I had. It was the, my understanding of the clients themselves because I was investing the time and energy and making sure that I show up whenever they have a need and whenever there's something I can help them with so that you build that trust. And then you create an approach around that. It, you know, unfortunately sets ground on hard work, which means you need to take longer hours, which means you need to invest the time and energy and all, but you, you build that over time. That becomes your persona. Then that helped me transition to become a sales manager because when you're the great seller, that's not always what makes you the sales manager, a successful one at least, because, you know, we have, again, the salesperson that goes and gives the most creative, perfect pitch and closes the sale. That's great. But you're not going to enable your team to make that individual, unique, perfect pitch. You need to have something, again, consistent that works as a process in the long run then you can become a manager that actually helped the sales team on, the, on their own day-to-day -day jobs. There's no other way. So you need to build that transition, which for me was a relatively easy one because of that discussion. Now, mm. I had a regional job managing teams in Middle East Africa. I came to worldwide at IBM within Americas, within the United States. I had different roles, different jobs. Now, what I'm trying to get to personally, which I think we all should think about is... Uh, what is my individual value proposition to the customers, to the organization I'm part of? And how can I amplify that? If, and this has two ways to me personally, and this may be different for all of us. One, and again, how can I consistently deliver the numbers I need to deliver, which is always the one-on-one. But the second mm -hmm. side of this is, um, you know, I learned a lot of things along the way. I've been pretty privileged, pretty fortunate to get certain experiences that's always not easy to acquire for a lot of people. And I'm looking to share them. It's about mentorship opportunities you may get into. It's about you know, joining podcasts like yours that are great, that helps a lot of people. And the discussion becomes when you share with people, that returns to you in two ways. One, you hear back from them. You know, I hear your experience. I learned from you and others in the industry. That's a great benefit to me. And if you're mentoring someone, it happens the same way. You're observing their own experiences, their own challenges, and it gives you the perspective to take back into your own day-to-day uh, -day execution. Mm -hmm. And the third aspect of this that also helps you is, again, you're building an identity in the industry, in the market that is that trusted profile that have the certain expertise that people are aware of. Because mm -hmm. if you keep it to yourself, I nobody will. I, I, I love that idea about your personal unique value proposition. I think that is a fantastic way of looking at it. It's like, what do I uniquely bring to the table? Like, how can I separate myself from, you know, other salespeople, even within my own team, for example? Because you're not going to be the same, as you say. You might have very different personalities. But, I mean, I've, I've seen a number of examples of this um, going on where there's a lot of um, sort of companies that are actually now actively encouraging their salespeople, all of their staff, to build their personal brand. To, you know, whatever you want to call it, personal brand or, or whatever. But it's it's then encouraging them to share what's going on in the business, what's going on in their lives, what they know, what they understand, their experience, their, you know, all the things that you've just gone through there and, and sharing, uh, you know, from a B2B perspective on things like LinkedIn. Because what you don't really understand is if if you do this on your own, that's that's great. 
you as an individual will almost certainly benefit from an improvement in sort of visibility and trust and all the rest of it. But if you do it as a team, you get the network effect of that. Absolutely. And you're able to help each other and share each other's stuff and get it spread further and wider and all the rest of it. And all of a sudden, if you've got that, like what a lot of businesses don't realize is that they have almost social networks within their business that are almost more powerful than the ones online if you're trying to do it as an individual because you've got that kind of network effect built in. Um, you know, bon- Bonbon's an example. I've had even Butte on here. Like their, their company is, is one that does this very, very well. Absolutely. It's a priority for us at IBM and, you know, at scale. And it's a priority that should be for individuals at any any number of sales organizations, mm. any size of sales organizations. I think any sales manager, sales director, anyone else should be seriously looking at this now because it is the way it's going. It's it's another shift, I think, in in the way that businesses operate and the way that people view other people because it is sales is still people selling to other Absolutely. people and people buying from other people. So, yeah, I mean, that that in itself, I think, is is a key takeaway if you're a one-person business listening to this or if you are IBM. Like, the value in sort of investing in your own personal brand, and there are many ways of doing this, but just go and consider doing that. So what I want to move on to is today's virtual hot seat. Hey, it's Adam. Now, just a quick one before we dive into today's virtual hot seat, because as the core philosophy behind the show is a rising tide lifts all ships, I'd love to invite you to come and hang out with me, my guests and other business owners and directors of established businesses with a track record of providing good, solid service and a positive reputation in their market inside the B2B Growth Think Tank community, where we all connect, solve problems and help each other grow more profitable businesses. It's free to join, so come along, join us at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash think tank group. I look forward to welcoming you, but first, let's get to today's virtual hot seat. This one, I think, I guess in line of what we've been uh, talking about, actually, is uh, is quite an interesting one because I think that um, what what this is this is all about. So let me just sort of bring this one up here. Is so this is coming from we don't know the context of the business or anything, but it's quite a good one because it's a fairly sort of um, you know generic one. But it's my current challenge is that we've grown our team remotely over the last six months, so our staff management is getting harder to do. How do I keep my staff happy, performing? What should I do when things go wrong? How should I measure performance? All that kind of thing, because I'm starting to feel things are getting a little bit out of control. What do you think about when you hear that? I think that's one of the most common challenges we had over the last 15 months, given the COVID and everything and the rapid change and the impact it had on people. I don't think there's any manager in sales or non-sales that did not ask this question to themselves and honestly this is the you know if they didn't they definitely should because mm. life changed drastically right and um, i was reading a hr article actually last week which is very timely in this context people working remotely their motivation dropped 17 points 17 points is a huge difference the difference is equal to working for a company that's best in that industry from a culture perspective versus the worst in that industry from a culture perspective so suddenly you have you may have been the best manager. You may have had the best team that has the highest engagements. And now, yeah, they drop to something that's like the worst. And 
this is something that you did not do wrong or anything. So we all need to build a different approach. Let me give my perspective from IBM side, and then let me give my personal opinion about you know mm. what I'm doing with my team. Because again, this is the same question I'm asking myself. And from an IBM perspective, one thing we did well, I think, when everything started was we had a pledge that our you know, superior executives as well as HR department created. And this is about, first and foremost, the people's side of the equation. Because um, people working remotely with kids at home, they have different priorities. They have different challenges. You need to understand that, you know, when you have a video conference meeting like this, in a way, you're a guest in their house during that time period. You need to have that attitude. You need to act accordingly. You need to understand that they'll have different priorities throughout the day that they need to take care of their kids maybe during the day now. And they can work instead in the evenings. You need to show that flexibility. You need to show that you're there for them. Before any of this, you need to ask the questions, how they are doing and how things are working. And this has one professional aspect for sure, but also the personal aspect because people have different things that they are dealing with when they're working remotely now, especially with the last year. I mean, that's huge, isn't it? That whole sort of shift in, I mean, I think this, I've been saying that this, this sort of thing is, is, I I couldn't believe that people were still getting on a train commuting two hours in and two hours out to work every day. Um, I've fortunately enough been remote for, for five years now. And, you know, we built the office in the garden and stuff like that. So we have that separation. But to have, if it was to be thrust on me, I, I can only imagine how difficult that was. And I think that, and I've heard like, on the other side of the coin, like horror stories of people that are literally locked in their house and dealing with, you know, three children of different ages with a partner at home as well and all the rest of it. And their their manager or their boss or whatever have then come down very, very hard on them and said, you're not performing, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. And and one story that I heard was was from my wife and she said that one of her friends it was it happened to them and, and and she literally had to in one in the middle of one zoom meeting when she got called out for something she just went right turn the computer around and showed the chaos that was going on with the kids in front of them and said this is what i'm dealing with Absolutely. like it's like not to have that empathy is incredibly naive i think Absolutely. Verging on, verging on psychotic, I think, like to not understand that that 100%. is a reality for people. And so I think you're right. It starts with the people and also the empathy and the understanding of the new situation and that you have to be flexible. Absolutely. Then the second biggest mistake to avoid, I would say, is we have this management approach that we built over, again, decades that's really strictly sticking to certain checklists. We are asking people to do certain activities to get the end result, which, you know, again, is great and helpful in certain cases. But in an environment where people have much less motivation than they did, the moment you push a checklist to people, that's all they're going to focus on. They're going to just check the box, move on to the next task, task and check the box and move on to the next. next. You're not going to get them to go though. If people have the minimum motivation only to get you, you know, out of their bag, that's not going to deliver the results you need. So the discussion becomes, how can you convert that conversation to something where they share ownership as you do on delivering that result? The way you can approach this is, you know, there are great articles, great tools, great processes. But in simple terms, the way to approach this is, you know, 
structure your week. Set Mondays a discussion together as a team where you talk about the commitments for that week and how you're going to get to those commitments. And mm-hmm. you need to ask that how question to people instead of saying, here's the checklist I need you to get done. But give them the flexibility to define how they're going to get there themselves. Then keep them accountable to that, but give them the flexibility to define it. And then give them the flexibility to execute on that based on their own timing, given what's happening at the, their house, as we already mentioned. Then from Tuesday till Thursday, try to set only individual conversations, like talk to them, try to get an understanding about where they are, how they're doing with the stretch assignments, not to you know investigate, not to look everything with a microscope, but sincerely, seriously asking how and where you can help them. Because by design, some of the tasks they will have will be stretched. That's why you're the manager. That's why they work for you. And you need to have some added value proposition that you're bringing to the table. But keep those discussions more individualistic and more individual, unless there's a task you will accomplish as a team together working on something. Then Fridays, mm-hmm. use that in a way that you kind of reflect. We committed this, here is why we are, and this is why we get to. But don't do it in a way that, again, you're inspecting or you are the one saying, how the hell you didn't get to where you need to get to. Put the people on the spot in the sense that, you know, let them present to the team. And if somebody is pitching to the team something on Friday, they'll do their best to look better. They'll do their best to look the best they can throughout the week just to get there and make, you know, be successful. This is simple, basic human attitude we all have. So you need to empower the people to define, again, what they are going to get done that week and how they're going to get there, and then help them along the week. And then at the end of the week, just make them communicate this to their peers more than you. And one, it will help with hearing from each other why they struggle, why they succeed. So there'll be best practice sharing, which is always important, especially in this age where they cannot chit-chat on the coffee table or Mm. next to the water cooler. You need to enable that. Then... The last piece that I would suggest is uh, try to create some time for people to socialize. It is very hard these days, but it can be a pizza party. It can be virtual happy hours, but try to do something that's a bit more fun where you create one, a bit of a teaming culture. And the second one, again, people to connect with each other, because again, we work with people. We work with each other in the team. We work with our managers and the more personal level we have a relationship, the better, the easier. Of course, we need to be Again, conscious about people's uh, lives at home and how things are going, and they may or may not be able to join these kind of things. But it's good to have these kind of activities that brings people together out of the work context, day in and day out, because there's something called, you know, Zoom fatigue for a reason. We are always working now. We're always at home and available. And you know, there's the balance we need mm-hmm. to somehow establish. That, that, that'll be the last tactical piece. Yeah, and 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 I picked up on the word that you used there that I think is it, it kind of underlines all of this, and it's culture. And I know culture yeah, will mean a number of different things to different people, but um, I think if if I ever sort of think back to times when I was in you know working in businesses and all the rest of it, there was a definite sort of type of culture. And I think that when you when it's good it's almost like the culture doesn't matter quite as much when times are good and all the rest of it. And you can manage your stuff because everyone is seeing benefits and all the rest of it. Things are good. Everyone's happy. But when things turn a little bit south, the culture will have a massive impact on how people react. And I think that culture, it, it always does start from the top. It starts from the leadership sort of communicating the vision, what is expected, 
and not just from a performance basis, but from a from a behavior basis, from how you treat each other in the team, how you treat your customers, how you treat your suppliers, how you treat basically everyone that comes into contact with the business. You know, it's it's not about perks. It's not about, you know, getting um, ping pong tables in the office or anything like that or, you know, sending I don't know, ping pong balls to people's houses so they can ping pong through Zoom. I don't even know if that's possible, but who knows? It's about that cultural thing. And that starts at the hiring process. Mm. And it's a hard, it's a much more difficult thing to change mid-flow. But the only time to sort of grow an oak tree is, you know, 80 years ago, but the best time is today. So it's kind of like mm. if you're starting to see things going a little bit awry, have you questioned whether or not as a leadership team or a leader – whether you have really communicated the expectations and the vision of the culture of the business, because that still needs to go through even when you're remote. Absolutely. And one common mistake we all do is when things are rough, we stick to our playbook harder. We stick to things we do, you know, that got to us. That we're comfortable with and we know and we we understand, right? And we force it more, we push for it more, we push for those things more. The, the, the thing is, though, you need to take the step back somehow, calm yourself first before even engaging the team and figure out how we can approach this holistically, how we can approach this more productively. As you said, you know, the best time is today. It may take eight years for certain things, but it doesn't matter. You take that step back, seeing what are the things we can do differently and don't expect we have all the answers. You need to be open yeah. and transparent with the team and let them come up with the answers. Again, the more you give your ownership to people in this age, the better, because you're not in the same office. You're not going to see what they're doing already day in and day out. And it's a simple, simple mm. number one management advice. Like if people feel ownership, they're going to come up with the solutions. They're going to feel ownership to execute and they're going to get that. If you give them the recipe of success and here's the checklist, check the boxes, that's all they're going to do. They're going to check the mm. boxes, nothing more, nothing less. And that's not going to deliver the results you need. And I think one of the other things I always um, used to do when I was running teams is is you kind of give the people that are working in whatever role they're working in, you give them a number of success metrics. We might call them KPIs or something like that. But it's kind of like if you can give them some key things to monitor on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, they will know whether they're doing a good job like performance-wise. It, you know, it never become, you know, you never get into a, a, a review meeting with someone when you have those success meetings and then you have to have a hard conversation and it becomes a surprise. Absolutely. And you need to talk the same language, right? You need to agree on what the success looks like and you need to have the hardcore numbers for that because, you know, this is sales. It's all about the numbers at the end of the day. Mm. But you and it, you know, it might look slightly common. different with different departments or different roles or anything, but each of those will have a success metric like Absolutely. you know from from the person that answers the phone like the average answer time is you know two rings um you know that's a success me- success metric like that has to be yeah. done all the time you know if you run the front office or you know when you did have the front office things have to be you know pristine for people to walk in etc cetera, etc cetera. like it's just those sorts of things i, I don't know like it yeah. doesn't have to be all about hard sales or revenue metrics because not everyone is going to be necessarily sure. linked to that but yes. it's, you know, I should still always try and link it back to customer success anyway. But that's to, just how we Yes, you need to look at your net promoter score. You need to look at your revenue metrics at the end of the day. But absolutely, there are millions of things that needs to happen. I'm looking at this more from a sales perspective, of course, as you can mm. imagine, being into this too much. But for every single department, that's the case. You need to have that outcome that you're looking for and help people be clear on the outcome you expect. Then let them 
somehow define how they can get there. If they think there's a better mm. way to keep that front desk pristine, the lobby much cleaner and nicer, then let them do it that way. Keep them accountable Absolutely. if it is not, but just give them the flexibility once you define the success. Definitely. Well, I mean, there's, there's, I hope a lot of practical ideas in there, but also a lot of things to maybe think of from a, a, I guess, a slightly bigger perspective as well, thinking the cultural side of things, but the practical side of things that you can do in there, take some of those steps. And I love the whole thing about sort of structuring a week around how you communicate with your team and the things that you do with your team and making extra time potentially for your team. I think that's fantastic advice. So I do hope that's been helpful, um, not just for who sent it in, but also people listening. So um, thank you very much for that. That was good fun and um, also very valuable. So um, before we sort of finish up, is there um, is there anything that you would say from working with a company that IBM that they do that many uh, either from a sales perspective or just from from any other aspect of the business that they do particularly well that maybe others wouldn't necessarily think of them doing well from the outside if that even makes sense <laughs> it makes sense it's a tough question because you know IBM is the harder aspect of IBM in the sense is explaining IBM because most of the people in the industry have the perception and the identity for IBM. Some, you know, the more positive, some not as much positive, but you know, mostly a strong brand that comes with it. Uh, it's the, yeah, we have the most patterns in the world every single year for the last 25 years by far, which means we invest a lot in the technology side. We invest in the innovation side. That's, you know, what we do for a living at the end of the day. The piece that I think, um, we always been again known for is we had those long-term relationships with a lot of, of the large customers we have over the years that we somehow built based on again that trust we have to win day in and day out again and again. The piece I think that sometimes is getting lost is um, as a new seller when you join IBM we have a training called Global Sales School. Every seller needs to go through this. Every seller has to undertake over this and. It is still by far the best sales training I ever did in my career, internally in IBM as well as externally. There's a few months of training, then there's certain aspects that used to be face-to-face, now it's more of a Zoom discussion, of course. But it's all about making the seller think how they're going to ask the questions and then how they're going to listen to those questions. It is not about selling to people. Again, I would tie back to that statement saying our job on sales is not to sell to people, but help the customer find the right solution and help them buy it. We need to enable them. We need to handhold them along their journey, but we cannot take them there unless they want to get there. And our job is to help them. That's one thing that I think IBM does well on the sales side as a training for us all. Mm. And that's one probably I would state in the context of all our discussion. Mm. Well, you don't become the size of, of a company like IBM without that kind of focus on the customer, on, on, on the way that you sort of solve their problems and all the rest of it. So absolutely, I think that, um, and, and something you said there, like that you might not necessarily consider from a company such as IBM, because even I made that statement, that stereotypical statement at the beginning of um, nobody gets fired for buying IBM. Well, you're kind of having to build the trust and you every single day, every single contact. And I think that the reason, or maybe one of the unseen things from this conversation that's coming through from me, maybe, 
is that there is almost that relentless focus on the fact that you have to restart the trust or, or have to maintain the trust every single day. Like it's not a question of going with just IBM because if that had happened, we would not have the conversation that involved that, you know, they got fired for hiring IBM anymore. Like it just, or it would never have happened. Uh, so life never works based on arrogance, right? Again, every single interaction we have with our customers, it's not just our customers, our colleagues, our peers, our partners. It is a discussion about the value you bring to the table. And unless, you know, you may have a credit to get that first meeting on IBM using the brand of IBM. Yes, that helps. But in that first meeting, you need to earn the rights for a second discussion. If you don't show value in that meeting, no matter who you are, they're not going to spend time with you. Because again, that's the most important asset they have, their time, and they're going to structure it accordingly. So you need to earn that right for the next discussion, for the next mm. discussion after that. And to get to the IBM piece, I just want to say one piece in that, you need to have your personal brand as well. Again, you can be IBM, you can be any kind of company, it doesn't matter. People do their research. If you ask for a meeting from someone, the first thing they'll do is they're just going to Google you or look at, look up you on LinkedIn and they're going to like or not like something that they see. And we have to be good with that. So as a person, you need to show the value you bring to the table, at least as much as the company that you represent. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I, I love what you've said there. It's, it's, it's about you have to continually earn the right. And I think if we all think of that, it's like every day is a chance to start anew. Every day is also, it's it's the day where you have to necessarily start anew with every potential yeah. client, every customer, everyone that you sort of know. Because there is no divine right to be IBM in the future. IBM no. has to earn that in the future. Because there is, you know, history is littered. You know, what is it? The Fortune 500, 95% don't exist, you know, that, are, that were on the Fortune 500, whatever it was, 50, 80 years ago, are not on there anymore. They've gone. Absolutely. So there's a lesson in there from, uh, from, from IBM, I guess. It's like that's how you not just become a large business. It's how you stay there. That's the hardest part, right? As a seller, as a company, you can get somewhere, but the discussion is how do you drive the performance consistently quarter after quarter? So my yeah. Absolutely. Well, Zafa, this has been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed the conversation. So um, unfortunately, um, I do think we're coming to time. But um, if people would like to connect with you, um, what's the best place to do that? And um, why should they be contacting you? Um, LinkedIn is the best place to connect with me. They'll share their accounts with the recording, I assume. Absolutely. It'll um, be under the, uh, un under the, in the show notes. In two ways, I'm happy to help anyone reaching out. One, of course, if you have any questions about how we can help as IBM for your business from a cloud perspective, from uh, application modernization, all those conversations you're dealing with today. But more importantly, I'm here to have any kind of conversation where you're looking to bounce back ideas about your sales numbers, your sales team, your sales structure. And if I can help in any means, I'm happy to do that. It's not a, it's, I'm happy to share what I know, what I lived through, what I experienced. And yeah, it's rewarding for me as well. And, you know, that's, that's an incredibly generous offer. And I think that it just shows how when you, 
have a certain amount of success and all the rest of it if you know it does become you talk about mentorship you, you want to be able to sort of help and improve other people okay. so if you know it, it, it's, it's a no-brainer if you run a sales department or, or anything like that make sure you connect with us as Afra and um you know have a conversation because there is incredible amount of value that you could get from it so very generous um Make sure you do that. Um, otherwise, um, I think it is time to call it a day and um, let you get back to your morning and I'll get back to my afternoon. So um, it's been a pleasure. Thoroughly enjoyed it and um, have an awesome rest of your day. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Pleasure is mine. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found it valuable. I hope you got some great ideas that you can take away and apply to your business to help you grow. If you did, please share it with somebody else that might also find this valuable because they will thank you for it. Also, to let you know that I have a podcast gift page where I put a lot of resources that I love to share with my listeners. You can find the links to join the Facebook community there and you can get my book, The Conversational Relationship Marketing and the audiobook version all for free, plus a number of other resources I'll be adding over time on that page. So make sure you head there to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift and you can help yourself to the things that make most sense to you. And if you have enjoyed the show, please make sure you're subscribed. You'll get updated as the new episodes come out. And finally, last favor, please consider giving the show your honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one. They mean the world for me. I love hearing from my listeners and it does help others find the show as well. So if you want to go and do that, I'd really appreciate it. But until next time, have an awesome day and we'll speak soon.